Process Safety with Trish and Tracy is a production of Chemical Processing. Chemical Processing focuses on serving engineers, designing, and operating plants in the chemical industry. Welcome to the crossover edition of Process Safety with Trish and Tracy, the podcast that aims to share insights from past incidents to help avoid future events. I'm Tracy Purdom, Editor-in-Chief of Chemical Processing. Today's crossover is from our Chemical Processing Distilled podcast series. I recently spoke with Dave Strobar, founder and principal human factors engineer for Bevel Engineering. We discussed unlocking efficiency by reducing emergency procedures. This conversation struck me as a perfect addition to the Trish and Tracy series. So without further ado, let's listen in. Welcome to the Operator Training Edition of Chemical Processing's Distilled Podcast. This podcast and its transcript can be found at chemicalprocessing.com. I'm Tracy Purdom, Editor-in-Chief of Chemical Processing, and joining me is Dave Strobar, Founder and Principal Human Factors Engineer for Bevel Engineering. Dave is also the founder of the Center for Operator Performance and a uh, frequent guest here on the Distilled Podcast. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm doing great, Tracy. How about yourself? I'm I'm doing fine. I'm curious. What have you learned this week? What's what's new that you've you've discovered? Well, I'm uh, was at a conference on uh, process safety, and I was uh, shocked at the number of companies that were talking about operator error and human error being a problem in process safety. And obviously, being a, a specialist in human performance, uh, I found that interesting, and think uh, maybe we'll finally start tackling that issue of trying to reduce uh, operator errors. Always, um, always top of mind and, and never ma- malignant, right? Operator errors aren't there. They're not doing it on purpose. It's just the systems fail almost, right? Well, exactly. And, and the, you know, the, uh, the crazy part is, of course, they think they're doing the right thing and it just turns out to be wrong. And when I, uh, first came out of college, I worked at, uh, Three Mile Island and the operators there during the accident, they were taking the steps that were totally appropriate for what they thought was occurring. It's just that what they thought was occurring wasn't what was actually happening uh, to the plant. And so their actions were 180 degrees from what you would want to do and uh, exacerbated the accident and resulted in a multi-billion dollar incident and in the uh, demise of the nuclear power industry in the United States. It's fascinating, and human factors, certainly, it's a topic that we could talk about for days and days and days, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, I'm not sure if, yeah, how many people you'd get to hang on for that one, but yes, yes. It, <laughs> well, in today's episode, we're delving into the topic of reducing emergency procedures, and it seems counterintuitive. Why would we want to reduce emergency procedures? Wouldn't we want more procedures in place? Well, there's a lot of people that would uh, uh, espound that view. Oh, we need more procedures. But there's there's both a, a practical and a uh, performance reason uh, for trying to uh, keep emergency procedures to a minimum. The practical reason is just that uh, the procedures have to be updated on a periodic basis every three to five years. And uh, that can be a, a significant time drain on a company and resource drain. So, the, you know, the fewer the procedures, the faster you can update it. So that, that's just a, a pragmatic reason, but, then, you know, not certainly enough, enough to justify trying to reduce it. You try to reduce it for the performance benefits of having uh, fewer procedures. 
So uh, some uh, research done by the Center for Operated Performance found that in emergency procedures, about uh, 90% of the material, the steps, are not unique. They're used in multiple procedures, and this is because if you're going to be uh, the upset the, the, uh, that you're using the procedure for, they're going to drive you to a shutdown of the unit. And so all those steps associated with the shutdown, those all tend to be the, the same across all these different procedures. And uh, only about 10% of the material is unique to it. Well, you talk about all most operators are trained, you train operators on procedures, you know, how to use them, uh, you know, go through the, the, um, the drills, uh, with them. But by recognizing that most of the steps are the same, it makes it so much easier to learn because you don't really even need to learn the procedures. You just need to learn the steps because those are the steps that are used in the procedures in just different combinations and different orders. So, uh, for example, in this particular project that we did, they had 40 pages of emergency procedures. Well, you would potentially be training on those 40 pages uh, as part of your, your training program, but it turns out there was only four pages of unique steps. And so what you really need to be doing is taking those those steps and training on those. And now that's applicable to all these procedures. So it makes it so much easier to train, much easier for the, the operators to learn. So you've got this performance benefit by having fewer procedures. It uh, uh, makes the, the training on handling the upsets far simpler. So, so you have this, this performance benefit uh, associated with it. One of the other things that uh, you run into in, in procedures, since we talked about Three Mile Island earlier, is one of the problems in most emergency procedures is, of course, they're, they're event-based. You know, you're, you're taking a procedure for this, well, you know, uh, power failure, you're taking a procedure for this loss of compressor, this procedure for whatever. Uh, one of the problems that was discovered at Three Mile Island is, of course, in order to select the correct procedure, I have to know what's going wrong. In other words, I have to correctly diagnose the problem in order to select the procedure. And so uh, what we would be advocating is going to more just an emergency procedure, you know, emergency shutdown uh, type of procedure that you can have some steps at the beginning. You know, if this is, you know, if the compressor is running, you go, you know, you do these things. If it's not, you do these things. So you can put some conditionals in. So the operators don't need to diagnose the problem in order to select the procedure. You just grab the procedure and the procedure helps you diagnose uh, what's happening. And we, we've done that at a, at some facilities where you, you, you just use the uh, sort of flowchart and conditionals uh, to take the operators through. So keeping the procedures to a minimum and possibly even going to just one procedure for emergency response, uh, there's a lot of benefits in training. And then there's just benefits in human performance as far as not having to make sure that I've correctly diagnosed the problem before I select a procedure to respond to it. What are some of the best ways to create these specialized procedures so that everyone knows their job and can work together? It sounds like there there has to be this dance that's going on and everybody needs to know their steps. Oh, absolutely. That's a good way to, to put it. And then the other, you know, you talk about that um, uh, you're essentially following a script. A procedure is a script. 
Um, and you need to make sure that everybody not only understands the script, but understands the, you know, communication points. You know, where is the interaction that needs to happen, uh, particularly, between, you know, between the, the console and the field. So the, uh, one of the, the problems in procedure writing is that oftentimes it's done in a, you know, trailer somewhere by a senior operator who knows what's going on, but it, is often not tested in the field. So one of the key things with these procedures is that somebody needs to go out and walk them down and find out, does this make sense? You know, how do we, you know, putting the various steps in, are we highlighting the steps for the individual operators that are going to be performing them? So when you're doing these procedures, you need to test them out to make sure that they, you know, make sense. You've got them in the right order, uh, that it can actually be done and be sensitive to the fact that, well, I've, I've had uh, procedures where if I'm a particular operator, my steps don't begin until page eight. And, you know, so I'm flipping through pages trying to find out, well, okay, where's, where's my stuff that I have to do? Uh, that's associated with it and be sensitive to saying, well, wait a minute, we need to do it something different here because we, you know, we need to, you know, either, uh, you know, break it up differently or orient it so that it's, it's easier to get to. But then the, the practice of those procedures is necessary to make sure that you can actually do what's, what's said, the procedure says to do, and that, um, you know, you have, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the skill just sort of built up in you. So I had a, a case where I was uh, with an operator and we were going to go through a, a, I think it was a power loss procedure and, and the operator uh, says, okay, so, uh, you know, what is it I'm supposed to do? And I said, well, you're supposed to walk me through this emergency procedure. And he says, well, no, no, no. Literally, what am I supposed to do? And it, um, he did not, you know, have that basic knowledge. And I, you know, and I had to say, well, you know, I'm not the operator, but usually securing the heaters is an early step. And he goes, okay, well, let's go do that. You know, so, you know, that, um, that practice of the procedure so that, you know, oftentimes the first several steps, you don't have, you don't have time to grab the actual procedure. You may be out in the middle of the unit or at the far end of the unit when the lights uh, go out. And, uh, you know, you need to be, have those first several steps, you know, wrote and I know what I'm supposed to do. And then when there's a break, I'll go in and get the written procedure and make sure I've done everything. Um, Obviously, this is an area where, you know, handheld devices, you know, that you can bring the procedure right out, you know, into the to the unit with you. Um, But not everybody is at that point yet. And you bring up a good point of having to, you know, you, you said that, you know, some sometimes it's the senior operator writing these procedures out and you have to test them out and. I think following through with that testing and making sure that the youngest operators, the the ones with the least experience, understand steps because the senior procedure writer may, you know, automatically know that that this A follows or B follows A, but the newer operator may not know that. So I think that's an interesting point to make that that you have to walk through everything to make sure you don't miss those steps and make sure that that everybody understands what's happening. Well, exactly. So, you know, experienced people take things for granted. You know, well, I, I thought we all knew to do that. 
And the answer is no, we, you know, no, we don't. Um, and you have to make it explicit and say, you know, this, you know, as you said, you know, um, if I'm starting a, a you know, a large spare pump, well, make sure the, you know, the lube oil has been turned on for that pump before you try to start it up. Senior operator may say, well, you know, you always make sure the lube oil is on before you start it up. It's like, well, yeah, you, you as a senior operator know to do that. But somebody with, you know, uh, it could be their first day on their own. And, uh, you know, they may miss that particular step. Especially in an emergency situation where where tensions are high and, and you know, adrenaline's flowing. you gotta you got to walk through those things. Oh, exactly. And that's why, you know, the more you can train on the procedures, you know, the better it's going to be under those high stress conditions. You know, I know what I am I'm going to uh, to do. Um, uh, share a quick sports analogy. There's a number of football teams that their first 10 or 15 plays are scripted, that they're going to run these 10 plays regardless of the situation. And they do that because then the offense is very comfortable. They, they have a chance to get in the game. They get comfortable because they know exactly, like, okay, we're going to run these dead plays. Um, and so I've got those down. They get in the game, uh, calms their nerves. Same thing in a, you know, during an upset. If I have trained on this and I know exactly what I'm supposed to do for the first, you know, uh, you know, number of steps, uh, then that relieves the stress, you know, immensely. I can just, uh, you know, go on sort of muscle memory, kick that program in and I, you know, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this before even having to reference the, uh, the procedure itself. But that gets back in again to, you know, the fewer procedures, the more those steps apply across the board. Um, the easier it's going to be to train somebody on, you know, it doesn't matter what the event is, you need to do these things. And um, uh, that makes it uh, simpler to have that sort of rote response down and ready to go. What about automation in terms of emergency procedures? Well, that's something that um, I think is uh, uh, an area that plants don't take enough advantage of and a lot of it is because i think it's because you know we don't really want to have emergencies and so there's a tendency not to focus on designing for them but we will you know um, as we walk through these procedures with operators you see all sorts of automation potential um you know some of it is uh having the machines replace the muscle power of the individual you know you'll you'll come to a valve you know and they're like well it takes 45 minutes to to close this thing because i'm i'm trying to close it against such a high pressure system and it's like well you know there's automation that can be done um, to, well, let's have a, a machine, you know, uh, assist in this in, in some way. There's also cases where I have a lot of repetitive tasks that, uh, particularly from a console operator standpoint, where, you know, I may have to go, to, you know, I want to take the heat out of a section of the unit with this, uh, this emergency and to take the heat out of it. I may have to go to, you know, six different graphics and grab 12 different controllers. And on each of them, I'm going to put the controller in manual uh, with the output at, at zero. And then I move to the next. Well, if what I really want to do is take the heat out, 
I should have an automated system that all I have to do is hit the, uh, you know, the, the, the command, the button that says take the heat out of this system. And it will go to those 12 controllers, put them all in, in manual at zero. Uh, and now that operator is not having to, you know, step through all these different graphics and all that time that is saved because they're not trying to do these little tasks frees up time to, to assess what's going on. You know, is the upset progressing the way I think it should? Um, or is something not happening that, um, uh, you know, should be happening? Uh, and I need operator intervention in there. So uh, automation from the console standpoint, a lot of opportunity, a lot of potential there. Automation out in the field in terms of, you know, the uh, sort of uh, taking away, you know, human muscle power and replace it with machines uh, because, uh, you know, these are can be very physically demanding tasks that the operator is expected, expected to perform. Dave, is there anything you want to add that we have not touched on that you think is important on this topic? Well, I, I think the, the, the whole topic itself, uh, emergency procedures, procedures in general, um, it's a major focus in the industry. Um, and I think uh, uh, that uh, there some various people have talked about how no procedure is right. And what they meant by that is that every procedure is made with a set of assumptions and a, a premise for it. And more than likely, with the time when that procedure is need to be used, the um, the assumptions or the premise that was used to create it, it's no longer valid. And so the procedure itself is really, uh, it's not perfect for any given case. Uh, likely because, you know, that set of assumptions was some idealized version of the plant. And just understanding that, you know, these procedures are good guidelines. You need procedures. You need the guidelines. But they aren't uh, the the savior of what's going to be happening. Uh, trained operators that know their job uh, is what's going to allow for safe and efficient operation. The procedures are just a tool to help them become that well-trained operator. Well, Dave, uh, as always, I appreciate you uh, giving us this insight, helping operators get into the game, as you mentioned, um, and have confidence in the emergency procedures, as you point out, just the guidelines. But having that confidence and being able to walk through and 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 you know muscle memory with some of these points, and then get to to where they need to be. Unfortunate events happen all over the world, and we will be here to discuss and learn from them. Subscribe to this free podcast so you can stay on top of best practices. You can also visit us at chemicalprocessing.com for more tools and resources aimed at helping you run efficient and safe facilities. On behalf of Trish and Dave, I'm Tracy. Thank you for listening to the crossover edition of Process Safety with Trish and Tracy. (laughs) 